Do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Our bestseller is all they're cracked up to be. Here at Terrible Book Club, we explore whether you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. You ever passed a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Hello and welcome to episode 178 of the Terrible Book Club. I'm Chris and this is Paris. Hello. This time we read The Energy Conspiracy by David C. Seaman. Get your jokes in here. Mm-hmm. Seemingly self-published in 1981. This was requested by our patron Beast with the Least who had this to say. Howdy, comrades. Here's to another year of Terriblo's blessings and cursings. <laughs> here, I hereby here. submit my patron book request for you guys to read at some point next year. We got to it at the end of the year. Yeah, the, uh, this is this is due to Gmail's insane spam filtering, and we just missed it. And luckily, Beast with the Least was kind enough to be like, hey, guys. Or <laughs> Gmail's <laughs> kindness to us, where it was like, I don't think, let's just not have him read this one. No, no, no. I think this was a good choice. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Continuing, Beast with Lee says, please excuse the weird format. The actual book is quite small, and I figured it would be at least easier for Chris to read if I blew it up into a larger print PDF format. Thank you very much for all that effort. Yeah, that for was me personally. That was some Thank great. Thank you. Seriously. Th- yeah. Thanks for the accessibility assist there. That was, that was good. Also, when you guys are done reading it, you can chuck it in the digital recycling bin where it belongs. (laughs) There are no other copies for sale online that I could find anyway, which is probably for the best. I haven't read the book in full, but I skim read a few of the extremely short chapters. It looks like the sort of thing Ted Cruz would badger his wife into reading to him as a bedtime story. (laughs) Actually, I never mind. I won't spoil it. Stunningly accurate. Please enjoy Tolerate or Choke Down, this word salad tossed with right-wing dystopian elements, baffling typos, half a pound of cheese wrapped in (laughs) aluminum foil, and dry-ass dialogue in place of croutons. BYOB. I mean, he's Perhaps the best book summary. D-Y-O-B, distill your own beer. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Perhaps one of the best and most accurate summaries of a book that's been recommended to us by a patron, too. I don't know. I actually kind of disagree. But I agree very much. Okay. Anyway, Beast with the Least, thanks for the recommendation, and we applaud your efforts in finding us an out-of-print book and digitally rendering it for ease of reading. And really again, above and beyond. And again, when you send us books for free, <laughs> it's, it's more likely that we will get to them because they will be there, whether digitally archived or in physical form, haunting us. Haunting us. If this is your first time listening to the show, what we do here at the Terrible Book Club is read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of the three. Sometimes, like today, we read books that our patrons, listeners, or friends recommend. So we do the opposite of what most people do in a bookstore or while they're browsing the internet. 
Usually this experiment results in a disappointing read, but once in a while we end up liking the book. In addition to our usual barnyard language, today's episode includes discussion or mention of the government. Them. It's a lot of the government is bad and they're out to get you and control you. That, that's what we got here. Yep. I feel like that's pretty standard fare in a lot of dystopian fiction, which clearly this is. Yeah, it's very authoritarianism. You know, that's that's kind of the, the government conspiracy we got going on today. <laughs> Them. Okay, so I'm going to read the back of the book summary, but it's actually in the front of the book. I don't know if you care it's about this, Paris, but technically within, nestled within it's the, book. the front of the book, not the back of the book. But it's the one place we could find a summary designed by the author to hook you into the book instead of the summary that we will read later yeah, from your I, listener I'm purposes. I'm so curious what the cover and back of this looked like, because all we get is just the pages inside. We don't see any of the binding or, or anything, so it's a mystery. Perhaps it was so unknowable of a horror that Beastwood at least decided not to show us the front cover, lest yeah. we be driven further well, mad. Well, I did find the only mention of this book I found on the internet was a Spanish Amazon like Spain's Amazon page, there was a Spanish Amazon page for this book, and the cover was a poorly drawn collar, which we'll talk about later. Uh, so that's it. That's all I got. All right. Well, anyway, here's that summary from the author. The Energy Conspiracy is a mind-gripping, spell-binding oh. tale set in the grim, cheerless world of the near future, where all of our precious rights and freedoms have been usurped by big business and big government. It is a story of one man's valiant struggle to maintain his freedom in an unfree world. Is that, is that what this is? <laughs> he doesn't really struggle that hard. No. Although the energy conspiracy is fictional, its author, David Seaman, spent over two years of research into the practices and policies of large government agencies, multinational energy companies, and utility giants. This makes the energy conspiracy a fascinating and engrossing blend of fact and fiction. Once you have read The Energy Conspiracy, you'll want every other American to read it. Know the truth and the truth shall make you free, John 8.32. Last minute Bible just at the end right there. Just got gotcha. <laughs> you. Stuck it, it in. Get it in. Just, just. Have you considered the energy conspiracy? By the way, Jesus. Yes. <sighs> All right. Well, Paris, did a lot before of you go. Before you get into that, can I just really say I fucking hate all these books we've been reading lately where they're like, well, it's the truth, but it's really it's fiction, but it's the truth, but it's fiction, but it's what I really think, but it's fiction. Yeah, we've had a lot of that this year. Um, yeah, I I thought you were going to say I hate all these books we've read where they just try to really just 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 squeeze as much Jesus into something as I possibly can. <laughs> just really just, mm, just get him in there. You're stretching Jesus him. really thin, guys. There's <laughs> yeah. no, not a molecule left of him to spread any thinner at this point, I think. Yeah, it's just, I mean, so many of these, especially conspiracy books, too, we've had a lot We've had a lot of conspiracy books that are like also, but also Christianity. We just got to get that in there real quick. <laughs> I, I just don't like the thing where they're like, I'm going to tell you the truth of everything and I got it right. And here's how you fix it. But it's fiction. Just in case I get anything wrong later, I can say it was fiction. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really lame cover. I, I really wish that folks wouldn't do that. So anyway, I, yeah, I share your, share your grieving there. 
All right, Chris did a lot of work with the character setting summary and, you know, setting all this up, so I'm going to read today. So before we get into our commentary about how we felt about the book as a service to you, (laughs) we provide a brief list of uh, characters and the setting, and then we do a plot summary, which is different from, you know, the back of the book summary, because it's, we give you our experience of sort of the most important elements of the story, action points, whatever. And then we will complain. So, (laughs) all right. Our setting in this story is future America, which in this book is the 1990s. Uh, So this book was written in 1981. It was kind of conceived in, or it was published in 1981. It was kind of conceived and written in the 70s. Um, But future America in this is the 1990s. We have our protagonist, David. He lives in a cave with his buddy, uh, Dr. Alan Broward or Groward or Gallen. I mean, the you know, <laughs> the, this character gets renamed multiple times because maybe of they typos. were all silent G's the time that they popped up there. Broward. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Dr. Lasagna. Dr. Alan Lasagna does hypnotic regression <laughs> therapy to David so he can conform to society because that makes any sense. Uh, Dr. Raymer, who also becomes Ramir uh, due to typos at some point in the work. Gramir is the evil science man who invented a system for total control of society. (laughs) Cynthia is his daughter. And then there's Dutch, the guy who lives in a cave with David. And Dutch happens to be, just happens to be, the architect of the supercomputer that powers the total societal control system that Dr. Raymer came up with. And then, I don't know, Kathy, Dr. Brower's wife, who means nothing. I I actually don't know why she's on the character listing. We can cut that. (laughs) I felt like... There weren't that many characters, so even her minuscule presence could be included in here because it's pretty much just no one else. All right. And this is this is the summary as is rendered by Chris. David lives in a cave because the government ain't gonna collar him with no computer controlled system. Due to greedy oil companies, something something OPEC, something something currency collapse, the US has implemented the PASS, peaceful activity security system which is a collar with a credit card dangling off of it attached to every citizen with your you know, your standard heavy-handed government dystopian control mechanism. It tracks all your data, shocks you if you do a bad thing. However, when outside the cave one day, David gets captured by government agents and is taken to a re-education center. He doesn't have a collar, you see. Dr. Alan Broward is the head re-educator guy who places David into a series of hypnotic regression treatments that make him relive his past, which is... Somehow supposed to make him want to integrate into the society he's shunned thus far and accept the collar. Dr. Broward begins to question the motivations of the system he's been a part of since he apparently has never had anyone be like, I think that's bad at him before. He also falls into, I don't know, lust with his boss's daughter, Cynthia. Since his boss is the guy in charge of the past system, that's tricky business. Cynthia urges him to terminate David and even says she'll do it for him if he's such a fraidy cat about it. But surprise! Cynthia wants to shut down the supercomputer that controls Pass, and she knows all about David, having met the guy who built the Pass supercomputer, and thus that David would know the Bible trivia necessary to initiate its self-destruct sequence. And so freedom is saved with... The number of the beast! (laughs) Hell and fire! A song to be released! Um... I I can't tell you how quickly that ending came at us. It was like the last three pages. It was like, and here's the twist. Also Bible. He's really good at the last minute Jesus. I gotta say, <laughs> it's a skill of this author. LMJ. 
like, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> the you're just leaving somewhere, and all of a sudden it says "Praise Jesus," and you're like, "Oh, fuck, but, God yeah. damn it!" <laughs> Thought I escaped. <laughs> all right. All right, Chris. What, what are we gonna about? Things that were good. Things that were good here. You got anything? So. I mean, most of the book is raging against the greed of oil companies, and I'm not going to complain about that. Oh, no, that's a great part. Yeah, that's a great part of this book. Um, And mostly blames oil companies for destroying America or how they will destroy America in the future of 30 years ago that I guess technically happened in some ways. So, I don't know, cred? (laughs) Mild cred? Not really in the way that this guy's describing it all, of course. Yeah, I can complain about that in a second. But Uh, So... points for him for getting there but it's wrapped up in a bunch of other things you know when that person that you don't agree with all the time is technically right on some grounds but how they got there is a completely weird path that you're not sure any sane person should step on both how they got there and then also wherever that truth is wedged between is is horrifying yeah yeah i mean Uh, that's the deal here yeah like there are some good things like the author tries to show some level of uh care in terms of his kind of the the fact background of this of this part and he has some testimonials at the beginning with some people who are actually involved in energy stuff in the 70s and 80s you know he even gets gets a little, little shout out to solar and wind energy cool and like Chris said, you know, America's dependence on oil is absolutely an enormous problem. And it is caused by corporate greed and will for ignorance. Like, he, he gets that point. He nails nails that. Totally good. But then the other causes he gives are, I would say, incorrect. <laughs> he blames <laughs> unions and social benefit programs. So your Social Security and Medicare is... <laughs> Also, somehow equated with the greed of fossil fuel companies, which I and unions like I that really that really <laughs> threw me when I read that. Um, really, if anyone wants money, they're greedy and bad. Except me personally, yes. you should give me your money. Well, and here's here's the other strange thing is that he is raging about the greed of oil companies, but he seems to think that only the and excuse me, this is just the framing of the book, but it's only the the arabs that are the evil greedy ones who own all the oil companies and take all of america's money and i'm like bro there's a lot more people involved in in this game at, at the level of greed that you're talking about has is not all it's not all that and so the focus on that is of course a, you know it it feels a little racist and misguided uh and completely misses again all of the other people who are who are not from from countries that speak Arabic <laughs> that are involved in this and cause fucking problems. So just the framing is off there. And then, all right, so the whole the whole thing about this book that uh, was actually missed in the summary, which I didn't notice until just now, is that David Seaman, the man, the author, and David, the character in the book, both seem to really like ethanol. This is their, you know... Uh, the author and the character both being named David, you know, it's there was no attempt at covering up the self-insert at all. Um, they love ethanol. And I, I feel two ways about this. So I think that at this time when there was a, you know, the oil crisis or whatever in the 70s and early 80s, I think it totally makes sense for 
someone at that time to be like, we need to pivot to ethanol because it would have been a good stopgap to reduce, you know, our reliance on oil because, you know, for various reasons, ethanol is, you know, it's a biomass fuel. So it's made from distilling, uh, corn and other things into an alcohol that can then be used as an energy source. Sometimes you also biomass energy can also mean like burning that Um, and engines and stuff that already run on gasoline can easily also run on ethanol Um, and I don't think there is much conversion or or any to be had there from my understanding. So I, I get that at that time this seemed like a good idea and you know it's it's cleaner than fossil fuels. It it has like, I think, I want to say 20 something to maybe up to 40% fewer emissions. So it's still not great. We're still, you know, you're still emitting carcinogens. You're still causing environmental harm. And like, it would be difficult to produce enough biomass to convert into ethanol, you know, because we, we don't want to, we're already deep into like monoculture shit in this country with farming and that's not good. So we, we wouldn't really want any more leagues and leagues of corn than we already have. Uh, so there's a lot of tricky stuff here. You know, it's, it's all that corn of battle out there. It's all that I mean. corn. Yeah, we got to gonna cut the, what was it? <laughs> got a sheath? No, not sheath. They were harvested Harvesting. like the corn of battle yeah, in the harvest. spears of Kalantarf. That's a... TBC reference for did you. I tell you I found out comedy. Kalan- did I tell you I found out Klontarf is a real place? Yeah, I, that's what I, I had to Google it too, and I was like, that can't be. A, it's a real place. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. You All right. named it dumb. <laughs> well, it's not dumb. It's just a foreign language. Anyway. Yes. Point being, like this, you know, it's not a terrible idea at the time, and honestly, we would have been better off if we had converted to using alcohol instead of blending it into gas as we've been doing or just relying I feel like we would have been better on... off if we did literally anything. Yes, that's what just I'm getting at. That's what I'm getting any at. Any tiny little <laughs> anything. If yeah. you, personally, if you just farted four less times last year, <laughs> it probably would have been a net benefit. Fewer. Fewer. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, this is complicated. I, I don't want to waste a ton of time on this, but I, my point is that he, this author has a point, especially with the, the time in which this was written. And his focus on like, hey, yeah, we should turn to farmers for energy production because it would help the economy. It would be, you know, it would help um, ease our dependence on foreign oil, etc. You know, like anything, though, this would have to be scalable and meet energy needs in conjunction with actual renewables like wind and solar. I mean, if you even at best estimates from maybe like seven years ago. The thought was that by 2030, biomass fuels could meet about 25% of U.S. energy needs. We use a fuck ton of energy. So, like, I don't think it would be practical to meet 100% of our needs with alcohol, which is clearly what the author is proposing in this book, which is a little funny. Um, It it wouldn't be a great permanent replacement, but it would have been a good stepping stone in the 70s and 80s. But we just kind of we fucked that up. We are well past that point. We yeah, we uh, need to we need to just go true renewables. We need to go wind, solar, whatever we can do to get away from fossil fuel stuff. Um, I don't I really just imagine wanna... us like using that as some kind of compromise deal. Like ten years from now, when we're already being crushed under tsunamis and everything's warmer already. Yeah, and that's... then they'll try to do something about it. I mean, that's probably. I mean, unfortunately, that's probably what's going to happen. Um, 
Yeah. A- and David, the author, is also right that the stranglehold that fossil fuel interests have on the world isn't going to just let up and let that happen anytime soon because as far as they're concerned, well, they're still alive. They can still profit. So who cares what happens when they're dead? He also got a few other things right. Like he kind of he kind of called the banking disaster, but I mean, he called it like three decades early, but still... I mean, you know, he had a lot of the sub facts wrong about that, but the banking disaster and there was like a digitization of information. You even have like sort of a smartphone idea with the collar chip thing. Um, hell, there's even a Black Mirror episode in here and segs as a as a shortening for sex, which I thought is hilarious that that somehow ended. <laughs> somehow he predicted that Internet meme where they call it segs. Yeah, he really did. It's, you know. Visionary, visionary. <laughs> so Do you think he predicted other memes with his other misspellings? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perhaps the apocalypse will be <laughs> some kind of thing 15 years from now, and then I'll finally understand. The apocalypse. Um, anyway, <clears throat> those were the crumbs that we found that were good in this book. It was not a lot, but there was some. Now, let's discuss. Chris, what's, what's bad about this? I mean, it's, as we mentioned before, the steps taken to get to the final resting zone of oil companies might not have our best interest at heart are um, extremely muddled within your sort of classic, like, America's for Americans. And I guess if we're selling out to greedy people from across the sea, that's worse than the greedy people here. Yeah. From things. yeah there's i mean there's like american exceptionalism here where he's like oh my god america's so great it's been around for 200 years like bro do you know do you know how short that That's... is in the span of in the longer yeah. span of time of human history like it's not... i believe every other empire ever is like laughing in our face being like 200 yeah it's it's very silly that people put such an emphasis you can't on even that. subjugate people for half a millennium <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with you get out of here <laughs> Uh, 200. I know. Um, there there were other issues, too. Like, I, I did mention in things that were good that he at least tried to say, hey, I talked to this guy who is sort of an expert. But then if you dig deeper, you find out that the expert mentioned he's the head of the Gasahol commission or company, which, man, I know that we make we make a lot of stupid portmanteaus on this show but gas hall as a serious word is a bad choice <laughs> um you think it was just a marketing failure like if they just called it something different ethagas would have worked uh, Maybe that one would i don't i don't know but anyway ethylene. this guy who's cited at the beginning he has a little forward and then david talks a little bit about his credentials or whatever al mavis uh he i am i am not into him his endorsement of this book because then i read more about him he was applying for exceptions to the Clean Air Act in 1978 to make his gas a haul so he can get fucked. And also, his gas a haul, it's only 10% ethanol and 90% gasoline. So, like, to me, I just That just feels just like wondering. a gas businessman trying to dilute it so he can make yes. an electric profit. And he Doesn't figured it? out, well, if I just throw a little alcohol in there, I can just... Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Just so, skim it off the top. So, I just, I don't... I don't understand this whole, oh, it's 10% ethanol. Look, it's like, I don't want to say that 10% is nothing in terms of reducing oil consumption, but it feels so Yeah, if you let them do the 10% ethanol 
in the 70s, we could all fart a hundred more times per year. No. <laughs> anyway, I just, it felt so weird to me because this book was clearly pushing like everything 100%, everything 100% alcohol all the way. Every We, we all need distilleries. We're going to pour it in our tractors. Like this was in this, I don't know. It just felt a little strange too little too late kind of a thing i guess which is the theme of america so i i suppose it's fitting uh and I or too much too soon honestly we don't really we've never figured out the middle ground yeah i haven't uh i i couldn't find there was mostly a smithsonian article on him from march of 81 but their archives don't go back that far on the internet it only goes back to 95 so i couldn't read about what the smithsonian wrote about him and there was also another attempt at sort of kind of pumping up this book at the beginning because it talks about international motion pictures limited imp books limited which is the press that this book was printed on and it's it's clearly a vanity press i oh it said that it's owned by some other guy who lives in the same town i i think it was just his friend maybe uh unsure i think the author actually died in 2015 and all of the documentaries or films that are mentioned in the dedication where they're trying to like hype up like, oh, how cool this press is. None of them can be found on the Internet. I really tried. I I don't I'm not suggesting they lied about it. I think that maybe they were just so like local and lacked any notoriety that no one cared enough to archive their existence. You know, I, I just it's like, oh, we made these documentaries about the Civil War. They're like acclaimed and stuff. I. I couldn't find anything about this. I, I yeah, so it, it's just it's sad because, you know, this is 30 years later and we're reading this or 40 years later and this is like, oh, jeez, it's just I don't know. I feel kind of bad when people are trying real hard to make themselves sound cool and it's just so obvious that it's not cool even 40 years later. <laughs> it's I mean, I just don't like the books that are Hey, I figured yeah, it out. Yeah. Hey, guys, come over here. I figured it all out. Here's the answers, but it's fictional. So if I get it wrong, it's I just made it up. But here's really what's going on, guys. Every single book we've read in that vein, I just can't imagine. Maybe this is a personal failing. Maybe this is I just should just believe in myself more. But I can't imagine sitting down to write a book and being like, I've got it. This is it, guys. If yeah. you just listen to me, just listen to me. I've got it. I can never imagine myself in that mind frame. And I guess generally, if you're the type of person that feels like they might write that book, uh, consider that you don't got it, actually, and that there's a lot of things that you could be missing. Yeah. So, yeah, I just I'm not a fan of that vibe in this kind of book or this book or any other. book. Yeah. And, and I mean, I I hate books that do this where they're like I talked to like here's a letter from this guy and here's how cool my printing my publishing company is it's just I don't know man it's not he says he did like multiple years of research and he got one guy to to write a letter or like there's he's not bringing up his consultations with anyone else no and here's the other big problem there's no footnotes there's no bibliography here so there were things and there's no distinction between when he's talking about fact or when he's in the fictional part of the book. I mean, sometimes it's obvious when he's like, and then David was in his cave with his little <laughs> hamster wheel, water wheel, electricity thing. But it'll just suddenly be like, you don't oh, know. His name is David. Maybe David was in a cave with a hamster wheel, Paris. You know, maybe he was. 
but it's not woven together well. And so I constantly was like, wait, is this a real fact or is this part of the fiction? And I had to keep looking things up because I I couldn't tell. It was a this waste of time. This is the game time. that these types of authors play, though, right? Like where they're like, well, I'm not going to let you know exactly what part is pulled from reality or not. It's up to you to do that. And I don't have to cite my sources because I said it was fiction. That's the rules. If I say it's fiction, I actually don't have to tell you about where my sources are. Yeah, it's like, but I if, can just but write if whatever. But if you're talking about real things, like he's talking about like economics and and like things in history that happened, for example, Three Mile Island, nuclear disaster and brazil converting to ethanol in the 80s and you know things that are real but that he started talking about in ways that made me go wait is that is that is he fictionalizing this or is that real i just ah, my my biggest critique of this book is that none of the fictional elements should have been there the, honestly, you would rather it would just be a long form rant <laughs> no i would have rathered it been an op-ed like if he had just written an op-ed and published it in some newspapers, that would have been more That's, to his service. Yeah. And it an would op-ed have made... is a long-form rant, Paris. I don't see what the difference is. I guess you're right. It is, but <laughs> at least then maybe it would have been. I may it would we wouldn't have had to sit through this terrible fictional story that added nothing oh, yeah. to what he was oh, advocating yeah. for. <laughs> he'll just be he'll be doing his ranch for two or three pages, and then all of a sudden it's and then David went outside his cave and shot a deer. By the way, OPEC. You know what, Chris? That's a good... Let's talk about that. We have talked multiple times about how much we love perspective shifts and chapters and how that really livens things up. And man, this book does that and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. What do you think makes a good perspective shift? Is it the clear delineation of when we are talking in one character's voice or head versus another? Because even just the little tiny bit of double spacing the paragraph beginning right like when a book has extra space between mm-hmm. the end of one paragraph and then a new paragraph and you know something has changed we're in a new brain or a new time or a new space or something like that we don't even get that here it's just hey have you thought about the oil companies david likes his cave yeah i mean it doesn't help that neither of the parts of this book that are kind of interwoven whether it's the fictional story or the factual you know accounting of oil and economics and u.s stuff or whatever neither of them are very well put together there are also more i have never seen a book with more typos than this book this <laughs> it is was astonishing Paris. A, yeah <laughs> and this is a book that was printed on paper and there are entire sentences and passages just back-to-back repeated there's crazy misspellings all the time like i said we have two characters whose names get changed because of the typos in them we already mentioned apocalypse before but then (laughs) apocalypse is spelled normal later so at first you know when you have a little bit hope that oh maybe this author just thinks that's the way it's spelled i can somehow forgive a typo if i see it over and over again in a story a little bit more but when i see the typo and then later you spell it right i get more mad about the first one yeah i agree it's one thing when someone you know maybe it's someone's second language or maybe they're you know i don't know whatever the reason is maybe they grew up in a region where this word was conventionally said a certain way so they didn't understand the spelling this is no this is inexcusable we have misspellings everywhere and they're all different kinds of misspellings and then the repeated passages and words and then sometimes you're reading a chapter and then four or five chapters later 
you'll see the same exact idea in slightly different phrasing. And you're like, why are you repeating? There's a lot of repetition. And this book is so short. It's only 130 pages. And that's like generous paging, I feel like. There's a lot of empty space at the end of the short chapters, too. So I would yeah. say, generally, you're probably in for about a 115-page ride here. What were your favorite typos, Paris? Um, I really loved the characters' names changing because of the typos. So <laughs> uh, Dr. Raymer became Dr. Ramir for a few chapters, and then Dr. Broward was, was at, he was like Alon Groward for a chapter. <laughs> and it, was, it was pretty good. Uh I just forgot his fake names. My, I like I said, I really liked Apocalypse when I showed up because I kept thinking about the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. That's the <laughs> context it was brought in, and it kept making me think of the Four Horsemen of the Apple Crisp instead. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, maybe this was a whole misunderstanding. You know how those Bible mistranslations happen because it gets passed through like ten languages. Yeah. Maybe it was just the Four Horsemen of the Apple Crisp. And upon the pale horse rode oats. <laughs> upon the next cinnamon. <laughs> It's just been a huge misunderstanding. It's just four guys delivering pie or the ingredients for a pie. Really. Well, a That's... crisp isn't a pie, but, you know. Anyway, <laughs> I would like it if all my if all of my apocalypse stories were more sweets or bake flavored, bakery flavored. Does, if possible in the future, good. I would ask you to do that. I also really liked the teaser gun. Oh, the teaser gun. That was good. Yeah. So the ta- clearly it was the taser gun. You know, maybe this was early enough where it wasn't a sort of unfortunately popular thing that people knew about maybe it was like new tech and he misheard he's like taser that's stupid it must be teaser is what they want yeah because you you know you tease them with a little death just just a little tease of electricity when you get zapped with it it goes ha ha you pooped your pants because i you got shocked ha ha the teaser gun it's me in terms of since we sort of ended up here it talking about sort of the structure and the typos and all this stuff there's a part where su- it's towards the beginning suddenly you're just reading a script from a movie he's like hey remember that movie and then it's like i am this journalist from this film and why I, do what why I, do people who write these long-form rant manifesto books always want it to be a movie at the same time we saw this with like the man without qualities a little bit it kind of felt like that and then we had that with uh, Afterlife Love. It kind of had a little bit of that. I Like, wh- what is the thing where they confuse, well, I want to be, I, I want to tell everyone I mean, about, about everything. About, if I make it a book. What about Waldo? Yeah. Waldo. Also. And then, um, uh, what was the other one? Um, Splattering at Endearing and. Sure. Uh. The Eclipse of Darkness. They all. Where does this medium confusion come from? Pick one and do that. I think. It comes from a desperation to be noticed and gain ground with your idea. And a lot of people think, oh, people like to watch movies more than they like to read books. So therefore, my book will be so a book and movie. a movie. Right. Make right. it up. Just yeah. make, pick one. I know. It would make a lot more sense if they just wrote a traditional script. And, you know, if you want to go the movie route. Also, not everything needs to be a movie and a book. Sometimes one medium <laughs> yeah. is better than the other, depending on what you're doing. Um uh, yeah, I I also find this bizarre. And this is even more evidence of this. I mean, think about it. International Motion Pictures Limited books. 
Why <laughs> Why would that be the name of your publishing company? Yeah, we didn't really talk about that at the start. So if you, everyone was like, uh-huh, I thought it was, it's a printing press, but it's called a movie. Yes, that is indeed I, what is happening here. Yeah, I, well, because I think that previously that company had only made those documentaries or something that were referenced. I. I should just Do you think David so was like this, let's make a book? You do you do art stuff, right? Can't you movies guys make some books? And they were all like, um, David, no, we we make movies here. And he's like, make the book and they had to hastily buy some kind of printing press. Yeah, I mean it's clearly someone he knew. Um so it says that IMP Books is a division of International Motion Pictures Limited dedicated to publishing quality books of a highly controversial and topical nature. I disagree on the quality there because you didn't even check the fucking words. That's and the mark of a good publisher is like everyone's going to be mad about it. That's that's what we decide to give to you. Uh, International Motion Pictures Limited was founded by Clinton Babel, Bebel, Babel of Erie, Pennsylvania. Clinton Bubble. Mr. Babel has produced hundreds of industrial motion pictures. Industrial motion pictures? Is that a... Turn? It's just all films of cogs and wheels and pipes <laughs> and machines. Just, it's really where Meshuggah got all of their like music video B-roll, turns out. There it is. Uh, anyway, this company made movies called The American Spirit, which deals with the American Revolutionary War. And the award-winning... And then they were sued to the ground by the cigarette company, and never to be <laughs> making movies again. That's what happened, Paris. And the award-winning educational documentary, The American Civil War... Mr. Babel also wrote The Longest Shot, a Civil War novel, which will soon be produced as a full-length theatrical motion picture. Guess what? That didn't happen. Um, <laughs> it, Everyone always making these big promises. I mean, if it did, I couldn't find it. Um, well, I guess name your book company for bookmaking and not movie making, Or, you know, just stick to one thing. Just stick to one thing until you get good at that thing. I mean, I guess, you know, in the in the days before easily being able to just upload your book onto the internet for anyone. I suppose it was probably exciting to find anyone who was willing to publish this, right? So I don't, I don't, um, yeah, I can't really be too mad at his excitement there. Chris, if personal water wheel electricity is so easy, why is, why is no one just doing this all the time? Obviously, because everyone's stupid and I got it right. If you only just followed my I... stupid idea that I thought up in 10 seconds without thinking further, hey, why aren't we already doing this? There probably is a reason for that. Yeah. And I wouldn't be able to put it in my book and feel smart. I'm a little confused because in the book, when he's living in the cave, either alone or with Dutch or whatever, he's like, yeah, I have batteries and I have a water wheel and it's like in my cave and I get all my energy and then I have a distillery for my ethanol and then I just use the ethanol to power my tractor and and i i was having a hard time understanding what the whole personal water wheel thing is because i thought you needed i thought you needed like a bigger this is something that fits in the back of his little cave so i was like we're talking like hamster wheel sized (laughs) water wheel i I it turns out you don't need that much energy to power a tractor it's well no the tractor is powered no the tractor is powered by ethanol the... Sure, but he got the ethanol from the distillery that he runs with the water wheel, so no, really no, no. it's just the distillery... long-form conversion. No, a distillery... Wait, distillery doesn't need Oh, I thought that's what you said a second ago. No, he uses the electricity said. for lights in his cave, and I'm like, wait, if the whole world has collapsed, I... How... 
Do you still have light bulbs? I guess he still... But you gotta replace those every once in a while. I don't know, man. It's confusing. He was in that cave with Dutch. Remember, Dutch was like, I have brought everything you need for years oh, in my yeah. gay love. I mean, <laughs> cave. <laughs> yeah. Come with me, David. I was I was hoping for, for gay, gay bear cave love, but we didn't get that far. Although, surprisingly... <laughs> yeah. This guy does just give the green light to the to the gays and to women's liberation randomly towards the end of the book. And I was like, all right, there's some points in your favor, I guess. Which is sure. why I thought that this would not be a good novel for Ted Cruz. Also because I can't imagine <laughs> Ted Cruz wanting to pivot, pivot away from oil, but what do I know? I'm not an engineer. I don't know anything about... Yeah, so anyway, with the water wheel thing, I, I mean, you could probably power something with the personal water wheel, uh, you know, maybe a light bulb. Uh, I, so I made that uh, confounding uh, con that conflation with uh, what was happening with the water wheel going into the tractor. Oh, but actually, yeah. it would be pretty cool if you could power your tractor with hamsters. So that's all I can think about right now is hamsters pulling the tractor. Yeah, I guess I'm... A lot of oh, you know what, Chris? I've discovered um, a wonderful website that can answer all of our questions. Hamstertractor.com? Please say it's hamstertractor.com. <laughs> Askaprepper.com. Oh. <laughs> okay. That right. does sound pretty good. Let's ask a prepper. All right. So the preppers, as of 2014, say a medium-sized water wheel electric generator can provide enough electricity for one house. Three bulbs, one TV, and one radio all running at the same time. Not only will you no longer be dependent on the power grid, but you'll have electricity when shit hits the fan, and more important, absolutely free. Unlike solar... You mean your water wheel? What about if shit hits my water wheel? Will that help or hurt? That <laughs> probably hurt. Unlike solar panels, a water wheel generator can produce electricity 24-7. Where do these preppers think they're getting the motion of the water near their house? Yeah, I'm... Again, I'm not... I am I'll just far open the pipes up. I'll just get my sink to run, and I'll stick the water wheel in there. That'll do it. <laughs> Yeah, I I am a little confused about where the water is coming from and don't you have to have enough force <sighs> man Do they I say don't... anything about the size of the water wheel that would power the three bulbs yes. the TV and a yes. radio? Yes, it says um Wait, while you are pedaling. Wait, excuse me. <laughs> What the fuck going on? What the fuck on over here? This, <laughs> Exercise. This is the Black Mirror part of this because there actually is a Black Mirror part of this where they're like, all sports are gone now, and now everyone just runs on giant treadmills and gets credits. That was fucking funny to me in the Which, book because it was like everyone on the same treadmill made the treadmill go 40, faster. Forty thousand people on a treadmill. They there were <laughs> there were competitions. I'm not like someone's gonna trip, right? We like, need some math here to help us with the treadmill sport <laughs> and also the the generator, because I am having trouble understanding. All right, hang on. Let's go back to the. If I have forty thousand hamsters on one big treadmill, could I fit that in the tractor to power the tractor? So you need hamster water. So if there's the water, if the hamster is no, take the take the water wheel out of it. Just put the hamsters on just one big treadmill, and that's like the bottom of the tractor, and they'll just make the tractor go. <laughs> oh yeah, hamster powered. Yeah, it's a tank tread tractor, and... but like I'm oh. the the hamsters are in the middle, and like I'm sitting on top of the hamsters. They're like encased. <laughs> that sounds horrible. It's like Disco <laughs> Stew's shoes with the goldfish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. For a water wheel electric generator, you need at least three feet of fall and at least 20 gallons per minute of flow. 
The more fall and flow you have, the more potential power you can generate. You can, you can measure flow by building a weir in the creek and measuring how fast it will fill up a five-gallon bucket. The creek. So, so everyone has to have a creek. That's, you yeah. have to have your own personal creek. It's really the crux of every prepper operation here. Yeah, I'm wondering how many little water wheels each creek could support. Like, how many people could... <laughs> Before all the kinetic energy is taken out of the system and yeah. therefore if you live at the bottom of the creek where there's no energy, you can only power one light bulb for two hours. Yeah, this seems bad at a large scale. I don't see how this would work. Preppers don't ever think about large scale. Preppers all think they'll be the one that's left. Yeah, I mean, obviously the large scale solution is a, like a, a giant hydroelectric dam that, you know, that pr provides hydropower for like an entire county or something, but... This this the suggestion in the book and I guess in this article is that ev no everyone just makes their own little their little creek <laughs> generators which seems <laughs> difficult I don't listen oh, you either man. have to have a creek or a lot of hamsters so <laughs> pick whichever one's easier for you and through the rich barons that have millions of hamsters can sit on the top of their hill at the highest point of fall and they have the hamsters and the creek that's my plan that's how I'm gonna become a millionaire just gotta wait for the downfall society don't ask about all these hamsters that i have just don't ask Ooh, this is a good uh this is a good comment from eight years ago from waldo mountain man waldo's back <laughs> individuals different from the wall guy Individuals who wish to do something like this should be aware that the current administration, his Gestapo EPA, with the help of the Army Corps of Engineers, you may wind up in jail for diverting any flow of water to power your wheel. As far as our government is concerned, they own any water which falls out of the sky until it evaporates back into the heavens. And if you touch it in between, you can and will be prosecuted to the max. They just jailed two young women in Florida on felony charges for having their picture taken while sitting on a huge loggerhead turtle because it is on the endangered species list. So do not think they won't do the same for messing with their water. <laughs> those two things have nothing to do with each other <laughs> listen these two ladies sat on a turtle and they got arrested and they are coming for my hamster wheel in the creek <laughs> uh... it's not because of the millions of hamster corpses that are clogging up the creek <laughs> that is not the problem no you just created a hydroelectric dam with hamster corpses <laughs> really I'm a genius <laughs> And then you use their bones to make a wheel and their their carcasses <laughs> dam up the river. <laughs> oh, anyway, all right, that was a fun excursion. Uh but yeah, I it seems Okay, in that scenario, I guess if most people Okay, here's the other thing I don't understand is if all of society is wearing collars and living in cities colors with a credit card yeah. dangling off them Why like wouldn't... you you would have figured out how to not have that knocking against your shoulders all day right like come on everyone has permanent scars from the metal credit cards <laughs> creeping their collarbones like imagine being in a crowd anywhere with all of the jingling <laughs> all the tinkling like you couldn't watch a movie without well without this The popcorn and the clinking at the same time. Movie theaters will cause hearing damage. <laughs> they keep turning the movies up louder Ugh. to go over the sound of the popcorn and the credit card caller clinking. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I was trying to figure out why. I was trying to figure out how if, the, if there was such this authoritarian government that wanted everyone to be collared and 
didn't want anyone living on their own. How was how did anybody escape that? There's no explanation of how David or Dutch managed to not be absorbed by the government and they flew a plane into a high cave. That's all it takes. The government just never thought to look there. I guess so. I mean, maybe they've got other better things to do, but it wasn't interesting. The story is terrible. I'm sorry. I'm all over the place today. I think maybe now is a good time to read a selection. Sure. So I chose page 53 and you chose page 55. So we're pretty so close. We might, it depends on if you're going by the pages as they are numbered in the oh, physical you're book. Right, you're I'm right. going by the pages that are numbered for like the PDF document. You're right. So it's page 55 of like when you're scrolling through the PDF, which in reality is page 49 of the book. So technically, I'm the one that's slightly ahead, so I can start with my selection. Go for it. Okay, so in this section, Dr. Alan Groward Broward Grallon is uh, speaking with David for one of the first times, and, you know, they, they just sort of get into a little conversation. Hmm. How are you feeling today? Dr. Broward asked David. I got up this morning. Did you sleep all right? I guess so. Do you want to tell me about yourself? Not especially. I could give you a little shot of something. What do you want to know? Who are you? David Keller. What are you going to do with me? This is an evaluation process. We're groping to determine whether or not you are <laughs> okay. willing to be and can right. be assimilated into the mainstream of society as a useful member. If you can, you'll be given indoctrination, comma, training. You'll be set up into our peaceful activity security system, and you'll be made a useful, productive member of society so you can contribute to it. My job is to help you achieve this goal. And I get to wear one of those dog collars. Dr. Broward was annoyed at his equating this marvel of technology to a dog collar, but he hid his annoyance. Yes, you get to wear one of those dog collars. Whoopee. Whoopee? Whoopee? Dr. Broward snapped back. Do you realize how life was before the invention of the peaceful activity security system? He continued. There was rioting in the streets, looting, pillage, class warfare. Oh no. <laughs> Raping, roaming bands of men acting like made dogs. Acting like made dogs. I think, it, yeah, I think uh, mad dogs what is, is the intention. Okay. Oh, that's it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Now all that has ended. In addition to that, the computers can monitor all of your life functions, your health. It can keep track of all your income expenditures. No one can steal from you or harm you in any way without alerting the computer's banks. There is no crime, tax evasion, unrest, or danger. And no privacy either. I'll bet that computer knows how many times you had sex last month. This computer doesn't care about things like that, Dr. Barber replied defensively. <laughs> Knowing, <laughs> knowing as a physician that each that such activities were daily recorded in the commuter's limitless memory capacity. At any rate, the use of pass relies on voluntary compliance. No one is forced to wear it. What happens if I don't wear it? The question shocked Dr. Broward. If you don't wear it, we would have to conclude that you were either an incorrigible criminal, incapable of reform, or psychotic, yes you would have to be one or the other. The reason I read it like that is because 
the question shock to Dr. Broward is in beginning quotes. Yeah, so it's yes. like he was talking Correct. and then the beginning quotes begin again immediately after. It's very confusing. In which case, well, you would then have to be isolated from the rest of society until you died, which probably wouldn't take too long. As a matter of fact, it probably wouldn't, Dr. Broward answered. Most people who do not avail themselves of the system have a very short lifespan for a variety of reasons. Like what? For example, there is the Accelerated Life Cycle Program. You see, at one time, the drug abuse problem reached enormous proportions. So to alleviate, all drug addicts are placed in facilities and given all the drugs they wanted. That solved the drug problem. They solved it the same way Adolf Hitler solved the Jewish problem. That's not a fair or accurate comparison, Dr. Broward objected. The world was running out of resources and the ability to support a vast and growing population. Things had to be brought under control. There were no other options. Besides, everything was done fairly with no discrimination as regard to race, color, religion, sex, or sexual preference. And that made it okay? We will talk more tomorrow. Dr. Broward felt once again that this man out of the past was putting him on the defensive. All right. Uh, we're going to migrate just a couple pages later to my selection. Um, I guess I'll have to start at the beginning. <clears throat> Chapter 21. The security police found your cave. Dr. Broward announced <laughs> the next morning. The security police really gets me. <laughs> it appears you like to write. Sometimes. Would you mind if I read your book? Would it make any difference? No, the doctor replied. Then why ask? There is such a thing as courtesy, you know. David laughed. <laughs> As you are so polite, you have my permission. Would you like me to autograph it? That won't be necessary. How do you feel? Okay. Do you think you're paranoid? Doc, you'd be paranoid too if everyone was out to get you. Dr. Broward laughed, and the wild man laughed with him. Joking and laughter seemed to have been relegated to the past. People didn't laugh and joke as they once did because it was hard to find any humor which didn't offend someone or something. Humor is canceled in the 1990s. <laughs> It felt good to laugh, so David tried another joke. I went to a psychiatrist once. He said, you're crazy. I said I wanted a second opinion. He said, Isayad, you're ugly too. <laughs> oh no, Isayad, I'm ugly. I had to read the typo there. Dr. Broward laughed. Do you know any other jokes? You are a psychiatrist. Here is another psychiatrist joke. I went to a psychiatrist and said, Doc, I think I'm schizophrenic. He said, sit down. That makes four of us. Okay, David, that's very funny. David talks like ChatGPT. Yeah. Strangely, Alan Broward felt closer to this wild man than anyone else he had ever known in his life. He felt closer <laughs> he to told him. Me two bad jokes from a 1940s joke book, and wow, I'm smitten. He felt closer to him and liked him better than his father or mother, teachers, <laughs> or even his wife. <laughs> yeah. Fuck all of you. David told me jokes. Okay, and for perspective, this is like their second conversation. They've maybe said 20 sentences to each other. I mean, I guess they had the, the exchange Chris Chris had with him and then this one. And he's like, I love this man more than my wife and my father and mother. <laughs> okay. Um, Jeez, once you introduce him into knock-knock jokes, uh, he he's just going to marry you. Yep. I, yeah. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't choose any other selections to read because I just thought I just thought the part where the doctor Those is like, I love this yeah, man that's... more than anyone else is really funny. 
I liked mine just for a demonstration of the type of dialogue we get here. I also like Dr. Broward snapping with Whoopi. Whoopi? What do you mean, Whoopi? <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, there's just, I don't know. This book has a sprinkling of a lot of weird things. Like when he's, the beginning, he's like, my life is so easy and simple. I have my little electricity generator in my cave, and then I just go out and shoot deer. And it's been so long since humans are around. Deer just aren't afraid of people anymore. I can just walk up to him and shoot him, and no one cares. And it's like, that's not how deer work. Uh, I, I Deer are afraid of things. Because humans are not their only predator, you fucking idiot. Like, deer are skittish because <laughs> they're also scared of things like There's a wolves, lot of things actually out there. They're lions. like, I could go for some venison tonight. Yeah, yeah. It's So the idea that deer aren't, deer are like habituated or like are not skittish and they don't care if you just walk up to them with a gun anymore makes absolutely no sense. I, I can't imagine this man understands anything about animals or i mean exhibit a of man who has never hunted before writes book about hunting a little bit because that seems like a manly rugged thing yes, to do yes. if you remove yourself from society yeah this also this book also has like an undercurrent of oh those greedy scientists yeah because scientists are just rolling in it i mean some of them are i guess what but... do people think scientists are doing and like Dude, you... i don't know i think the common perception of scientists is idiot that's gone too far for no reason. Well, yeah, the common perception is that they get paid a ton, but I don't understand why that. I mean, some scientists do make it's good money. because they're it's... bought out by the companies, so people are like, well, the companies are paying for the studies to make the scientists say whatever they want, and therefore you shouldn't trust any science ever, even if it's funded by not a business. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Do you also, there were a few other things. I have a question for you. What is up with the terrorist plutonium? Do you have any idea where terrorist plutonium came from? What that was about? I think maybe because this was still relatively early on in nuclear power. You know, it's been, it's been around for like 30, 40 years at that point. So it's not that new. But I think there was security concerns about what if someone just snuck out the plutonium? I mean, yeah, it's a thing you need to be concerned about, but... His level of concern is like the terrorists are specifically trying to take the plutonium and now they can do that easily. And I didn't understand what I think because the, the world collapsed, that meant the plutonium was just available to take. And but what are you what are you going to do with plutonium if you're not? That was a, one element I wasn't sure I if he was in the I think this is really happening versus this is my fictional future. Like it was very unclear to me on that particular point. Yeah, I I don't quite understand. I think he thinks plutonium is just something that you can get really easily. It's not something that you have to manufacture into a usable material. So you can just go out and find the plutonium. And obviously they stockpiled it at the nuclear reactors. So that's where people would just go to get the ass loads of plutonium that would still be there after well, a collapse. Yeah, but plutonium isn't like, you can't just pick it up with your hands and walk away with it. That's... Right? I believe he thinks that ha that's how it works. Uh, I... Let's ask the internet, can you just pick up plutonium and walk away with it? I don't think so. I wonder if AskPreppers.com has something to say about them. Ask the Preppers, Perry. I mean, I think in general you need to encase anything that might be radioactive or dangerous in steel, I want to say, or something that could... All right. Can you touch plutonium? No, you can't touch it with your hands. 
<laughs> you, but I mean, you, yeah, it's gotta be, gotta be in a a non-porous sealed container. I'm thinking steel because that sounds relatively easy to possess. But still, I, I don't think you can really do anything with it unless you know how to use the material. Unless you. <laughs> Plutonium is transported following reprocessing as an oxide powder. Since this is its most stable form, it is insoluble in water and only harmful to humans if it enters the lungs. Plutonium oxide is transported in several different types of sealed package and each can contain several kilograms of material. You can't touch plutonium, Chris. That's not true. It can't get on your skin either. I'm almost positive about this. A lot of the things that I'm... This is cdc.gov. The CDC is really like, just pick up the plutonium? That seems insane. <laughs> I Because it, how can it hurt? Okay, what does it look like? What form is it? Let me see what the CDC has to say. <laughs> plutonium is created from uranium in nuclear reactors. It's a byproduct of nuclear weapons production and nuclear power operations. Plutonium, plutonium is a solid material that is fashioned into rods for use in nuclear reactors, into ceramic buttons for satellite systems. Plutonium is a silvery gray metal that becomes yellowish when exposed to air. Most plutonium in the environment is in the form of microscopic particles that are the remnants of nuclear weapons testing and nuclear reactor accidents. Because it emits alpha particles, plutonium is most dangerous when inhaled. When plutonium particles are inhaled, they lodge in the lung tissue. The alpha particles can kill lung cells. Okay, this is still just saying, for more information about plutonium, it just says that, yeah, you can inhale it and die from it, but it doesn't say anything about the form that it is transported in on this particular webpage. Okay, um... I am, I am now, I, I now don't believe you because I just can't believe that, I don't think that's true that you can just touch plutonium. Plutonium is radioactive and can accumulate in bones, which makes the handling of plutonium dangerous. <laughs> that's what I'm seeing. I'm sure it's worse if you inhale it, but I'm sure that if you touch it, it is also very, very terrible. <laughs> okay, I'm on PBS.com And now we're, now. Just, we're just scouring. I really want to know if I can touch the plutonium. Okay? I don't that believe... So I mean, I fucking wouldn't. Plutonium is, in fact, a metal very like uranium. If you hold it in your hand, and I've held tons of it in my hand, God a pound it. of two at a time, it's heavy like lead. It's toxic like letter arsenic, but not much more so. Well, you still you don't want... to eat it. don't want letter arsenic on your hands. You have to eat hands. it in order to harm yourself with no. it. It is radioactive no. naturally. <laughs> it's not true. That's not true. Where are you reading this? So you can say you can hold it in your hand. What about the radiation that is emitted by the plutonium? The radiation from plutonium tends to be very easily stopped by any kind of shielding around the plutonium. A pair of gloves, paper, right. certainly right. a thin film yes. of steel this is my will point. stop the radiation from plutonium. So that is perfectly safe. This is my point. Is the skin on your hand enough to shield yourself no. from plutonium's radiation? The skin on your hand is probably sufficient to no. stop most of it. No. Okay, this is We're at odds. from Frontline Interview with Dr. Charles Till, a nuclear physicist and associate lab director at Argonne National Laboratory ask, in Idaho. I'm going to ask my coworkers what they think about this. I, I think you just have missed a lot of opportunities to hold plutonium in your life because you were scared. You were a little bitch <laughs> and you wouldn't hold the plutonium Paris, and now you're defensive about yeah. it. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems... When is that interview from, though? You think later that like they were like, oh shit! Actually, I, that doctor died. I mean, it's possible because science is ever changing. So I wonder okay, let's see if, if that's I can just... find a published date. I cannot find a specific. I think this might be 2014. I am. 
I am just so surprised about this. Um, I just, <laughs> I'm gonna like look up Dr. Charles Till here to see. I just really if he's like the guy that keeps saying you should touch plutonium, really, <laughs> and every other scientist is like, no, no. don't listen to Dr. Till. It's like Dr. Till is funded by the plutonium commission or whatever. <laughs> He's still like alive and accredited, I think. So he's 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 out there touching all the plutonium, Paris. Aren't you jealous? Okay, that is as far as I'm willing to go <laughs> in the can you touch plutonium search. Uh, let's see. Are you furiously searching for someone that says you can't I, touch yeah, plutonium yeah, right I'm now? Stealing, I'm, stealing, I'm reading newer research. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <clears throat> From the Los Alamos National Lab in 2021. All plutonium, all plutonium at Los Alamos is handled inside a glove box, a sealed compartment that is accessed through two holes to which gloves are attached. Technicians insert their hands into the gloves and are able to handle the plutonium with no exposure to the element. We don't do the work if we can't do it safely. Being able to operate <laughs> safely in a complex environment is a prerequisite. So, okay, they are so stringent about not touching it. So why, why would, why, why would they go through those? precautions if you could just pick up the plutonium chris <laughs> well dr charles Till says it's okay so i'm gonna go touch the plutonium just... because i'm homer simpson now i'm now i'm on a fucking i'm on a fucking crusade <laughs> I, i'm over here in camp plutonium touchers <laughs> dr charles Till said it was okay so it's cool don't be woke and put gloves on and put the plutonium in another room listen i'm as a as a psa here i'm not touching no, no don't, keep don't that shit away from me plutonium. actually i don't think you should do that it's i think, just think it's really funny that there's this one guy on pbs going yeah whatever touch the plutonium <laughs> yeah he's like i hold it all the time <laughs> <laughs> my dick's green right now with, you know i mean me, it's... <laughs> i'm actually trying to become the hulk and so far it hasn't been working all right hang on there's a pdf uh called plutonium and health how great is the risk who did the pdf you should oh, check it's, that it wasn't dr it's, charles no, till plutonium touch it's, Lo it's los alamos again at Los Dr. Alamos, Charles Till's mortal enemies, <laughs> Los Alamos. Some 100 men and women work with plutonium routinely in the only remaining plutonium processing facility in the United States. As shown on these pages, from the moment they enter the facility, they follow rigid safety precautions protected by specially designed clothes, gloves, and goggles. These experts use glove boxes for their work with plutonium, handling even minute quantities with amazing dexterity. At the end of the day, their radiation levels are thoroughly monitored. Our people are well protected, but their work has its risks. Therefore, the laboratory places the highest importance on providing more accurate answers to the question of how dangerous plutonium is to human health. This article summarizes our findings over several decades. And this is a lot of text and graphs. Um, I'm going <laughs> to try to just go to... See if they have a TLDR at the bottom. Yeah. TLDR, don't fucking lick the plutonium is probably what it says. Um <laughs> Anyway, I should link this in the show notes because this looks pretty comprehensive. Yeah. Um, I'll give you the PBS interview with Dr. Charles Till, who is pro-plutonium touching, <laughs> just no, so we get both sides of the argument the here. Plutonium. No one touched the plutonium. No one touched God damn it. Her <laughs> uh... book club said I could touch the plutonium. It's fine. Okay, well, that was certainly a digression there, Paris, <laughs> into whether we can or cannot touch plutonium. Okay, absorption of plutonium through intact skin is very low, <laughs> okay, no, but punctuation cuts... 
<laughs> and to a lesser extent, skin burns contaminated with plutonium favor deposition of the element into tissues within and below the skin. The amount of plutonium picked up in the blood circulation depends on the chemical form of the plutonium. Soluble forms start being distributed throughout the body within minutes or hours of the uptake. Some of the plutonium may be transferred to lymph nodes near the wound, where it may stay for years. Even some insoluble forms of plutonium are taken up into the blood circulation quickly, but most remain at the site and are slowly mobilized over weeks and months. Yeah, so, I mean, like, that's like saying, yeah, you can touch it, but, like, why would I take that chance? Why would I chance having a small cut I don't know and getting fucking irradiated? Like, stupid. Dr. Till don't give a yeah, shit. Yeah, Dr. Till clearly doesn't give a fuck. Walking walk in there after doing some hardcore cardboard deconstruction. Paper cuts Just, all yeah, over the place. Yeah, give it to like, me. Whatever, I'm touching the plutonium. All right, next question. What are trading stamps from gas stations? There is a whole rant about how they don't even give us the trading stamps anymore. And I was like, <laughs> what are you fucking talking about? I have never heard. They took away all our freedoms to put this collar on me. But God damn it, if I can't get my holographic gas station special edition stamp. So wait, was this like Pokemon cards in the 70s? Yeah, that's instead of fun monsters on them, it has gas stations on them. I, I just don't Fight the gas stations against each other. <laughs> Collect the gas energy cards. Yeah, I, I seriously, I didn't know about this. I've never heard my parents talk about it or anybody older. Um, I, I don't think it was like a widespread thing. It was probably one of those things that nerds did. Oh, you know what they are? They're just they're just like, lo- it's like a loyalty card, but they did it via via stamp instead of a card. That's all it is. Oh, okay. Well, I thought it was also like a fun collectible thing. I guarantee some people collect oh, that. Oh, probably, though. yeah. But I, I just had no, I just no fucking idea what they were. Um, yeah. So I guess because they wanted to reward people who paid in cash, they would, uh, they would give them, I don't know, these little points, you know, or whatever. Like, like every fucking online retailer now is like, get points for referring. <laughs> it's just that, but it, but gas paper. stations were ahead of their time. Gas stations were ahead of their time. I guess it wasn't just gas stations. It was also, like, department stores and stuff. Um, they're just, like, seems like they weren't really worth a lot. Um, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, what do you get? Every t- every 30 times you use a gas station, you get one Coca-Cola. Yeah, something like that. It still had the cocaine in it, though, so, I mean, it was, it was something. I don't think it still had cocaine in the 70s. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. No. It did not. No, that was... <laughs> it didn't, absolutely did no, not. No, that would have been... That would have been a very popular drink in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> The other thing I want to talk about is just the overarching idea that we need to keep the Arab sheiks out of the oil game and because they put all their money in these four banks in America, therefore they can pull all their money out and just cripple the American economy if they wanted. It's like, yeah, but then they would hurt themselves too because if the American economy collapses, the dollar collapses and the the world economic system goes goes through it in not a good way so like i don't what's the benefit there you would fuck up the whole world for what i don't i don't get i don't think he thought that far into it and he just really thinks that international debt works the same as personal debt yeah everyone that there isn't you know that. a highly connected system of levers and pulleys and all these you know, just a giant rube goldberg machine of like okay he owes me that much but you owe me that for here so if you owe me that why don't you just pay him instead you know how you get into that with your friends sometimes 
that's really all this is on an international scale. And you know, like when at the end of it, you just throw your hands up and be like, whatever, fuck it. I just, it's all a wash. I don't want to keep track of it anymore. I hope we eventually get there as a global society. Um, yeah, he also says that the dollar, uh, but he said between 1970 and 1980, the dollar lost 90% of its value. And I was trying to figure out if that was mathematically correct. Because, uh, I mean. Is he bleeding a little bit of alt history into here? Where, like, in. This is the problem! I don't know when he's talking about reality and when he's not. I don't know. I mean, I know that there was, obviously, there was inflation and devaluation of the dollar that, at t- that time, but 90% of its value? Is that right? I feel like we would have known about that in school hopefully if that really happened no i don't although think, to be I don't think we clear i'm pretty known. sure a lot of my history textbooks in school stopped at the 80s so yeah. maybe that's yeah i had some old history textbooks too anyway i i just wanted if you're going to talk about real facts use footnotes use the bibliography to cite something and if you want to weave fact and fiction just do it more deftly like write the whole thing as a fictional book this whole like sometimes i'm telling you about reality and then oh we're gonna flip to the fictional story it just it sucks i don't know how else to describe it it sucks it's not fun it doesn't make you want to read anything it's a chore the whole thing is a chore there's also a lot of stuff in here that you know very digital averse very computer averse computer bad he, of course, was, you know, at the early stage of computer bad here as before it's like all you kids be on your damn phones here. It's like all you kids, be, all you banks be on your damn computer mainframes with your digital money, not my warm analog paper currency, yeah. which is really what I feel like is going on on the economic side of things here with this author's way of thinking where it's like real paper money is real value but this this digital information and computers that's not real value not realizing that the paper money in his hand is also basically a subjective value because it's not like the paper has any worth yeah i mean well yeah we can get into you know the whole gold standard and you know just the general trust that people have put into a currency but you're right it is i mean everything's made up god is fake i don't know i mean nothing nothing's real um it just smacks of that same you know how everyone's always like it's like that warm analog sound versus the digital bullshit out there like you see it in like music gear mm-hmm. audiophile stuff i'm sure in other areas like i'm like there's gotta be people I'm out sure there you know, yeah some... right you know like it's that's that same thing all the time of like well the older analog system has life and warmth to it and the new digital system sucks all the humanity out of it like if there's anything <laughs> do you think there's people that are like that about up like toasters like oh it's yeah a digital toaster and i can't it's not my warm analog toast no they need, they the need true... to use the toasting cages of the 1880s to, to <laughs> really the toast same thing you don't understand i have to i have to use all my concentration and turn the toasting cage at the right time over an open flame to torch my toast the analog way <laughs> or you know they, they're like i mean at that you're just amish right like if if you're just rejecting all modernity and electricity like you're just making the choice to be amish which is fine if and you want to do got that their stupid arbitrary line of like what's really the way to do it versus what's too computery at this point and it's always arbitrary it's always arbitrary yeah i don't think i've ever i mean i think early on in terms of like in terms of we're talking about arts, arts, electronic tech, I think the earlier versions 
of all those things definitely sucked and I get why people were like, oh, those sound like ass. But now that time has happened, <laughs> yes, technology has greatly improved. And so, you know, digital cameras, d- digital music recording and amp sims and all kinds of stuff is just, it is indistinguishable from the organic product in in most cases. I I mean, unless you have someone who doesn't know how to use it, in which case, yeah, it might be obvious and terrible. But if you have someone who is skilled at using the new version of the technology, then I think it's absolute bullshit when people say they can hear it. Like, do you remember that guy? Do you remember the, does Does your band have 100% organic grass-fed drums or whatever he used to <laughs> yeah. say, the French guy? He's still out there. He's, He's still, still out, out there, there, Paris. He's still doing what it. What was his name, the French guy? Anyway, this guy used to message... This French dude used to message every heavy band he could find. Everyone. All Oh, every band? It wasn't even heavy music? I thought it was only heavy music. No, it was all, it was all metal and everything. Oh, okay. But, like, there's a lot of metal bands yes, out there, guys. I don't know if lot. you know. Another, just go to metalarchives.com. That's the one place that you can find a, way too many of the metal bands that are out there. And there's, like, a lot. And this guy will find all of them. Yeah, and he'll message the band or someone in the band and be like, do you... Do you use I had this long do you use 100% real organic unprocessed un non-quantized drums what what was his name oh my god no no samples no sample replacement or enhancements of drums I'm, I'm searching 100% real drums guy cuz I don't remember yeah. annoying drums guy there it is uh, <laughs> Getting asked if we triggered our drums on our album by that one guy as the Facebook group that still exists so I'm going to copy and paste that into my browser. All right. There is a Facebook group called Getting Asked If We Triggered Our Drums on Our Album by That One Dork. There are 7,000 people in this group. Um, the question... Ah, greetings. Have all your releases been recorded with all real, all acoustic drum notes and no trigger sample or quantization of any kind? That is the question he asked. So, I mean, he's pretty short and to the point, but it's just his dedication to finding the one drummer that hasn't done any sort. Like, because again, where is the line? He's like, quantization mm-hmm. is bad. Okay, what about blending two takes? Right? Like, what is that too? Oh, yeah, too no, no. You? It has to be, you have to do everything in one take. <laughs> I have no idea. Is compression an EQ? Out of the question, probably, yeah, because it's digital. Anything digital, I will. I mean, I guess that. What about if I analog. use more than one microphone? Oh, more than one microphone. Yeah, that's that can't be allowed. That's got to be illegal. Listen, the only way you can truly record drums and make real music is if you tie a can to a string and put the other can at, into my ear directly from the recording studio and play the drums through that. Wait, I found all acoustic drumming metal is his his group or whatever oh god is it gone no i think it's gone oh shit (laughs) he's been defeated i mean i just don't know how you would have the fortitude to to do this says the woman who's been reading terrible books for a decade um (laughs) okay well yeah this book is like reading a book by that guy let's talk about the and how the plot wraps up in this book. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, David conveniently 
runs into Dutch, the guy who is the architect of the supercomputer that runs the pass program. You know, and he, of course, is like, oh, I, I tried to build it to help people. I tried to build it to be like a medical device thing. It was supposed to help people. But then it got co-opted by this evil guy who lied to me, who was, of course, Dr. Raymer. And he turned it into what it is now. And I hate it. And I want to destroy it. And he's going to die of some kind of heart condition. So he tells David, well, the secret, the secret code is in the Bible. And there's a code that will cause all the magnets in the computer to turn against the computer. Is that, is that what he was saying? Yes. Your classic hard drive memory wipe. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, you tell the computer, it, you enter this code into any terminal that the computer's, the supercomputer's connected to. And of course, the supercomputer is like buried in a, in a mountain somewhere in the United States. It happens to be, there happens to be a terminal, you know, it ends up being close to David. So David is at this facility, this medical facility that Alan Broward runs. Then Cynthia is the daughter of Raymer, and somehow he is also at the same, he's like knows about the facility or is nearby or owns, I forget. Anyway, coincidentally, Broward gets wrapped up with Cynthia, and Cynthia has an interest in destroying the supercomputer, but no one knows that. She kills David with a just just under lethal dose of whatever the drug is. And he wakes up in the morgue and she just walks him over to the terminal to the supercomputer, which is conveniently which right is near the next morgue. To the morgue. <laughs> and um it turns out she and the computer the computer is like in love with her. That didn't make any it's, sense. It's, they I, don't really explain it. The computer's just like, yes, my love. Well, it, it's like, yes, my love, I will I will do anything for you or something. And this again, this is like the last like fucking page of this book. And it's like, by the way, she, and the computer was in love with her. And you're like, what the fuck? That doesn't make any sense. And then Cynthia's like, if you love me so much, you'll kill yourself by taking this Bible quiz. <laughs> and the computer is like, yeah. And he says, David, do you like to gamble? Because she's calling the computer he, and David is like, how do you know it's a he? And then he's like, I love you, Cynthia. I don't know what he says, but it's like, <laughs> alludes to the fact that the computer has some kind of romantic interest in, in a human woman, which, again, makes absolutely no sense. This isn't an, this isn't a sentient... We, we weren't led to believe this was a sentient computer, so I have no idea why that suddenly happens at the end of the book. And the computer's like, are you a betting man, David? And David is like, yeah, sure. I guess I, I, guess I don't have anything to lose. And the questions, the Bible questions are so stupid. Like, I so knew them all. Like, you would expect a code in a computer to be, like, something that you not only have to know what the code is, but, like, where to put right. it in and, like, what directories to, to fuck with. But the computer is just like, nope, here's the kill me button. Please just enter the correct sequence. And it's stuff like, how many days was Noah on the ark? Which is, like, real basic, like, if you've even heard of Christianity shit that you would probably know. Which seems like a really vulnerable spot to to have there, well, right? Well, because cause Christianity is, like, outlawed now. But when this computer was being built, it wasn't. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But the only question I didn't know was... Uh, the age of was it Methuselah's age when he died? Yeah, that's that's sure. That's a little obscure one. Only real Christians know that yes. one. Yes. 
So he answers all of this right, and then he's like, and then what's the code? So I don't even know what the point of the trivia was, because the code is separate. I, that's like the, uh, you know, two-factor authentication. Yeah. Like, you can't input the actual <laughs> code until you also know all the other Bible trivia. So, earlier in the book, when Dutch is like, oh, the code's in the Bible, and then David reads the Bible, you know, he reads the Bible all the time anyway, but then he's searching for the code and he can't find it, and he throws the Bible in a river, which I thought was funny. Um, and, you know, I'm laughing <laughs> to myself, Bible. and I'm like, I'm like, what code could be in the Bible? And I was like, oh, maybe it's like you know, like a passage number, like, oh, it's this chapter, this verse. And I was like, oh, it'd be so funny if it was 666. And then, motherfucker, it's 666. That's the code. <laughs> That's the code. Because, uh, well, okay, so you want to put the Satan code into the computer that's evil to kill it so that you can have a more Christian free nation without any callers. That That's how it that's I the, that's the logic I don't there. I don't understand the logic. I don't understand why this fictional story had to be here. I hate it so much. It is and again, it's like a very. It's not like you have to have a deep knowledge of Christianity to get that down, right? Like you just got to know a couple of bits of trivia. It's just numbers too. It's not even alphanumeric. You could at least up the security of there, but like put a symbol in there and like an uppercase character and a lowercase character. So there's a, you know, you can maybe brute force that thing. Just write a program that just keeps putting numbers in and eventually you'll shut that shit down. Why didn't Cynthia do that? Or when, or when Cynthia, who, you know, the computer is in love with Cynthia right. and she wants to destroy it. Why doesn't she just like start up the Bible quiz section and then just go through and be like, okay, it wants these answers. I'll just go read the Bible and then I can do it. Well, if all information has been digitized at this point, couldn't she have someone write a program to just go through any possible number references in the Bible? Yes, also and that. <laughs> just feed it into the fuck. It's so, oh, it's so dumb. Why does she need David, the only one that knows how old Methuselah is, I guess? But that's also in the Bible. It also tells you that. That's what I mean. Uh, like, it's just freely out there. You don't have to have David's head specifically. No. It's so painful. It's just to have a last minute Jesus, Paris. That's, oh, it's all in the service to be like an only a true Christian that knows how old Methuselah was oh. and the demon number will be able to save us from the government's computer. Terrible. It was really bad. It was really unsatisfying. And it sucks because I, I want to give some credit to this guy that was like, we have to do something because we can't be relying on fossil fuels forever. But then his something was this. And, buddy, you chose the yeah, wrong thing to help. do. You chose the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> you got to know the Bible. And eventually, one day, your Bible knowledge will allow you to shut down a supercomputer that is controlling humanity. That's what we should do. Also, use alcohol for gas. But I also don't, I don't understand how... Here's the other thing that makes no sense. Why would you... How does this story convince me to advocate for ethanol usage? Because if you don't, then we'll have the supercomputer with the callers around our necks. Don't you see, Paris? I just don't see how this convinces anyone. Do you want a caller with a credit card banging around your shoulders all no, the time? I, well, I don't. I don't. Um, you better get lobbying. The char- I mean, I don't even think we didn't even talk about this, but obviously the dialogue is bad. The characters are, are just just paper dolls not even not even what i think they got that from the passages that uh, we read i mean none of this is again what this should okay should we just go into can we fix it at this point yeah right yes so what do you think chris can we fix it no <laughs> simply because of what i said before which is anytime you get these 
I've got it. Let me tell you guys what the problem is, and I've got the way to fix it kind of stories. It's I I again I just imagine that author sitting down like rubbing his hands together, be like, oh, they ain't gonna know what hit them here. They just gotta read the ideas and put it in their head, and all the problems will be solved. If you ever find yourself feeling that feeling, thinking that thought, listener, don't do it. You don't got it figured out. You actually don't have it figured out. Or like out if yet. you do, I don't want to. I mean, if you do think you haven't figured out, you gotta cross check that with a fair amount of people before you settle on like yes. I have figured it out. I guess what I'm saying is when I find someone has done a lot of research into something, they quickly realize that there's a lot of variables involved and things to possibly point the finger at. So therefore, it ends up being sort of a case where they're in their writing. They're like, here is my theory about why this happened. Here is a bunch of citations to back that up as one cause of something that is part of this problem that I am studying instead of Arabs. This should have, okay, my piece is just that this should have been an op-ed in some newspapers about the greed of oil companies and how we should have switched to, made a move to ethanol in the 70s and 80s. At the time, you know, in the 70s, that would have been an appropriate time for this to be an op-ed. Just cut all the fictional stuff. I, uh, focus. But then I can't make a movie out of my op-ed, Paris. Oh, God. I mean... Again, like this is just a, the the whole media confusion thing. Not everything you think, uh, not every idea you have needs to be a book or a movie. Like there are other options for you <laughs> out there. You can do an editorial. You can write in a magazine. You can do an academic publication. But a short no one story. reads scientific journals, pamphlets. People watch movies. Paris, how am I supposed to spread my ideas that are the right thing? Oh, fiction is just not always the best delivery vehicle, my friends. Especially when that's clearly not. The talent you have oh and get an editor god oh, please the editing lest we have the four horsemen of the apple crisp yeah i don't know i mean so it's oats cinnamon upon a pale horse ride cinnamon upon the brown no no pale horse is oats brown is cinnamon the black horse is pale horse is milk oh pale horse is milk you don't need milk for an apple crisp though you need butter for an apple crisp yeah so. I guess butter, cinnamon, oats. Apples have to be there. Yeah. that's the, Those are the minimal <laughs> ingredients for an apple crisp right Yeah, there. like you can maybe get away. Maybe cinnamon and sugar. Instead of cinnamon, you put sugar in. Just sugar, apple, oat, and butter. I don't want apple crisp. All right. Well, let's go get some apple crisps. Unless you have anything this else was, to add, Paris. Uh, I'm going to thank the patrons uh, here. I just want to thank Beast with the Least for digitizing this and sending it to us. It was nice to... Have a quick read yes. towards the end of the year. Sorry that we almost missed this. Thank you for n- nudging us. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed our tangents about can you touch plutonium? <laughs> Don't fucking touch plutonium. Don't listen to Chris. <laughs> Don't touch plutonium. Um, yeah, th- thanks, Beast, at least. Um, we're you know excited to see what you have in store for us next year. It is in, in reality time, it is July, but when you are hearing this, it is December. Is that right? November? Sure. Something like that. I believe that. So Yeah, it's December because this is the second to last episode. I hope y'all are having a nice year. winter, a fall, a nice fall into winter. Um, yeah. And hopefully we're in a better headspace. Actually, when this airs, we'll be recording. We'll start recording for the next season. I don't want to think about that. That's, <laughs> that's yeah, far no, away. That's, we're front-loading all this for a reason. Yeah, we're having a nice long break. Um I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's all I got. This is don't read this. Please don't read this. It's not worth your time. 
it's hard to find. So if you're trying to read it, you're gonna have to work real hard, and it is not worth the. I effort. mean, I guess if you really want the PDF, we'll send it to you. But why? No, we we're throwing it in the digital recycling bin, as Beast with the Least asked us to. There's no reason. Like, let's not. You're right. You're right. Get the get the digital paper shredder. <laughs> Whatever. Here we go. All right, thank you, Beast with the Least. And thanks to our patrons, Greg, Veronica, Will, D, Jared, Arant, Senia, Jakub, Lycoris, Elliot, Kieran, Martin, Jay, Luchek, Miri, Yanka, David, Julius, Anya, Patricia, Austin, Donnie, Scott H., Robin, Laxdodes, Of the Void, The Plutonium Touching Unicorn, Last Man on Earth 01, Funny Robot with Antennas, Hobby Boy 93, Harry, Mason, Renee, Emmy, The Ugly One, Bleach Black Cat, Julius the Nice Dragon, Eastern Swiss, Rudy Bobooty, Bender, and Guitar, Emily, and our Kofi donor Kiwi thing. And especially again, Beast with the Least for sending us this book. Thanks very much for supporting the show, guys. Chris, I have have news from on high. Oh no. I thought so, we were done. We're so just, close to our I break. I have Twitter open because the only thing we have Twitter for is the Terrible Book Club. We don't have personal Twitters. So I had it open because I was doing TBC. This Today's TBC day. I was doing some TBC admin. So we had a, you know, we had a notification, and they're usually nothing. This one though. This one though. This is from. Um, this is from an, an account, uh, and it says, "Terrible book club." Hey, so check out my this travel book. It's one of those underrated ones. I guarantee you're going to love it, especially the narrative. It's so fun. And it is called Cultural Passport. And I don't... It it sounds really strange because it's just, hey, I'm going to talk to you about 20 different countries and how they're all cool. Well, guess what's first up <laughs> next year, Paris? Yeah, I... Ooh, this one does, does look like it might not be great. Also... Sometimes the terrible books just walk right in. Yeah, they don't, yeah. We don't. We didn't even set up a trap or anything. We weren't even looking for this. This is the this is the problem with having anything that says book club. People write any book and they just they they. All just... right. Well, Paris, we can save that for January. Oh, of next this author year. has a blog entry about Andrew Tate and. Okay. <laughs> well, we got to get out of here. We'll, you'll hear that Airline safety it, instruction. God damn it. This is bizarre. Oh, great. That'll be a handful of episodes after this one. But personally, you and I, Paris, won't have to read that for months now. So let's put it in the old recommendation uh, spreadsheet. <laughs> Join us soon, listeners, for Andrew Tate Cultural Passport. <laughs> no, no, there's not. Those ideas aren't linked together. Um, I, that's what you think. Uh, all right, Paris, I want to go touch some plutonium so I don't have to read that in the future. <laughs> yeah, it's time to become a plutonium terrorist to escape <laughs> escape the cultural passport. All right, see you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Terrible Book Club. Terrible Book Club is an independent podcast produced by your hosts, Paris and Chris. Sound design and audio editing by Chris with sound effects and music by Epidemic Sound and sometimes also Chris. Our theme song is Kiss by Yearn, which is, you guessed it, actually, also Chris. You can find more of his soothing synthy sounds on Bandcamp at yearn.bandcamp.com. Do you want us to review a book of your choice on the show? Do you want access to some extra audiovisual weirdness? If so, become a patron at patreon.com slash terrible book club. 
If you'd like to send us a one-time tip instead, you can do that at ko-fi.com slash terriblebookclub. You can also support TBC for free by sharing the show on social media, following our accounts on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Goodreads, telling your friends about your favorite episode, or by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or anywhere else on the internet. To send us book recommendations or your adorable pet photos, send an email to terriblebookclub at gmail.com.